Acts 13, this story, we don't, we don't talk about all that much. So uh, we're going to today, before we get to the one that I'm talking about with this crazy dude named Bar-Jesus, we're first going to look at why they were even encountering this guy to begin with. So let's read the first uh, four verses of Acts 13. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Man, we could have done a sermon this morning just on one through three, couldn't we? Whenever we talk about how come we don't do certain things, they're all listed right here. Three different things are listed in these three verses that we rarely do, right? And I don't know which one you notice first. It could be the one that is not something we do, but something that, that we certainly would like to hear. It says, and the Holy Spirit said to them, I want you to set apart Barnabas and Saul. And it's kind of wild. You had the Holy Spirit here quoted word for word with what he said to them. Wouldn't you love it if every time we needed instructions on what we need to do next? Because they're at Antioch, they're worshiping, they're serving. And it's time to go and do their first missionary journey. But they don't know it yet. If the Holy Spirit just said, hey, I want Bob and George to go over to such and such a town and do this. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't it? I'm sure the Holy Spirit is probably saying, well, the problem hadn't been the lack of my talking. It's been your listening. And that's probably right. But this is what happened. So that's one of those things that we would look at and go, man, those kind of instructions sure would be nice. And some of us in the room, while we might not have heard a a voice in that way or different people, different experiences, have had those convictions of times where you knew for a fact there was no way this was a conviction from anyone but God and His Spirit. And we've had those moments and had those times. Uh, times I shared with you one a couple of years ago where I, I was so convicted and knew that this was from God because it was like He had me like a tiger by the tail and was not letting go and would not let me do anything else until... I had a particular conversation with a particular brother who then said, thank the Lord because I've been needing to talk to you. So he does that sort of thing. And, and some of us have had that experience. But this is a little bit different and uh, incredible. The other thing that you see, when he tells them to do this, what were they doing? They were fasting and they were praying. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because Jesus said for you not to tell me. Okay, so you can, you can relax. But... If I were to picture in your head whether or not your hand would go up or not, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have fasted for something other than a blood test? I wonder how many hands would go up. How many of us fast and pray? How many of us fast for the purpose of praying? And notice which they started first. They started the fasting and the prayer, and then they heard from the Holy Spirit. Could that be connected? Well, just chew on that one. I'm not going to give you an answer, but it could be connected. But they fasted and they prayed. We think of that as some sort of an, and they did that in the Old Testament. Hmm, Only if you stopped reading. Is that only in the Old Testament? 
all over the New Testament, the early church, the disciples of Jesus Christ, not just the apostles, all the disciples, spent time in fasting and prayer. And when you get outside of the borders of the United States of America, guess what Christians all over the world still do on a regular basis? Fast and pray. Could there be a connection? Our brothers and sisters in Ghana would say yes. I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. Could there be a connection with the direction of our culture and our society and the direction of the church in America today and our lack of fasting and praying? I'm not going to give you the answer. I think your eyes already know the answer. Could be a connection. They fasted and they prayed and the Spirit answered and the Spirit sent. One thing about fasting and praying, God's going to put you to work. It's going to happen. So be ready. But don't say, well, then I'm not doing it because I don't want to work. Because, uh, well, 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 we'll get to that guy in the, in the, in the story here. He's, he's in here, that guy. Uh, let's, let's keep going. Oh, there was one more thing. There was a third thing. The third thing that they did as they set them apart for this mission, and I don't know, I'm standing in, in, in my own way here. Yes. Sorry, I thought I saw a typo, but I didn't. Uh, as they set them aside for this mission is they laid hands on them. Now this, we still sometimes see, and still sometimes see right here in this congregation, not to the extent that you see it in the New Testament church. My experience in churches of Christ is that this is far too seldom, not as seldom as fasting. We will lay hands on you before we will fast for you. That seems to be uh, true, not right, but true. But we will lay hands on people and pray. Sometimes we lay hands on them and pray on them as we're booting them out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this is something we ought to do. For uh, some people, they always associate this with sort of a, a miraculous thing and an imparting of gifts. But in the New Testament, you see in the church that it was, it was for a variety of reasons. One of them, like this one here, is, of course, to pray the Lord's blessing and the Spirit's move on the work that uh, at this point still Saul and Barnabas are about to do. But there is also a sense in which it is a commissioning. And that's when you'll often see it in the church. When somebody decides to go off and do mission work, often the elders of that church will put their hands on them and pray over them and lay hands on them. Uh, when people become elders... Uh, often those congregations will have the people who are already elders come up and lay hands on those men who are taking up that role and that task and will pray over them and lay hands on them. Deacons, the same thing. And for a variety of reasons. We do that too sometimes when we're just praying for someone who's going through a difficult time. We do it when we uh, are praying for somebody who's going through health problems because of the message it conveys. It kind of reminds us of Jesus who touches the leper that nobody else would touch. And so it gives a message of love and confirmation and of I'm here with you and I'm here for you and I am praying for you and we're with you in this task. And the early church did this early and often, all the time. It was a part of their regular practice. I think it absolutely should still be, not in a legalistic sense, but because it still does the things that it always did. It still communicates the things that it always communicated. And church, we need to communicate those things, don't we? Whether that is confidence in the people that we're commissioning to a task, they need to know that. 
whether it is the togetherness of prayer for people who are going through difficult things, they need to know that. And so it's, it should still be just a regular part of our living and loving like Jesus. And this was the first thing we see in the book of Acts, chapter 13, is them being chosen and set apart by the Holy Spirit for a task and the church and leadership in that church getting behind them, accepting too that these brothers are going to be going off and they're going to need support for uh, Saul and Barnabas and they're going to be part of that. They were also given a task of prayer support and support and sending them off. And so they did. So they go off on their first journey. And this is not a map of the entire thing. This is a map of uh, just this first leg that we're talking about. So, uh, as you know, we're over here in Antioch right here. Did I do that? I, I put, what in the world? I'm going back. Whoa. You see what happened there? James got a twitchy thumb this morning. Right there. Okay. Lasers. On. We're good? We're good. Okay. Right over in here is where that... Well, actually, they're, they're kind of right in here. But they go from here over this island. It doesn't look like much, but it is a sea journey. And they go over to the island and they traverse all the way over to the other end. I don't know what happened at the first town. He doesn't tell us. If it's more exciting, what happens at the other end of Cyprus? And they run into this guy named uh, Bar-Jesus. It means, Bar means son of. Just like Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon the son of Jonah. This is uh, Simon, or no, not Simon. This is just Bar-Jesus. We'll get to why he likes to call himself that here in just a second. But first, let's read the story. So the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. The John they're talking about, as you probably know, is John Mark, a young man who is a relative of Barnabas, and uh, who, you, as you probably know from the story, Paul and Barnabas disagree over this young man's potential uh, later on. But at this point, he's still with both of them and they're all working together. And this is kind of the first time we really see him all that much. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Let's just stop there for just a second and let's introduce this guy, Bar-Jesus. So Bar-Jesus, again, it means son of Jesus. Why is he calling himself that? Jesus was, you've got two options. Jesus is a, a more common name than we think in the first century. He wasn't given some special, he was specially given a common name. He wasn't given a special name. Uh, and so you would have had other people who were named Jesus. Just like if we go down to Monterey, we're going to run into a few Jesuses here and there. I was foster parent to Jesus. So we have uh, this man whose name is either because he's named after someone more common or he is wanting to give people the impression. I think this is probably the most likely option. He is trying to give people the impression that he is somehow a, a spiritual descendant of Jesus. 
He wants to steal Jesus' credibility while not believing in Him, not serving Him, and not having anything to do with, as we would say in our, our day, sound doctrine that would come from Jesus. Instead, He is a Jewish sorcerer, which, by the way, that's as big an oxymoron as you might think it is. You're not supposed to be a Jewish sorcerer any more than you're supposed to be a Christian sorcerer. But there He is. And it tells you a lot about Him, doesn't it? So he steals the name, most likely, in order to gain credibility, to make it look like he has somehow inherited the ministry of Jesus and is trying to do that. He has the ear of this proconsul, an important government guy for the Roman government. He has the ear of that man and tries to stand in the way of the advance of the gospel. Saul, still Saul at this point, but not much longer. Saul is going to get to preach the gospel to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul. And do you know what happens when you get great big opportunities to serve the Lord? Do you know what happens when things are going really well? Again, we don't have details of what happened on the other side of the island, but it says they were able to preach in the synagogues. It sounds like they probably had a fruitful ministry, fruitful enough. They believed that they could move on to the next place. We can kind of draw some conclusions from that. What happens when things go well in the church? You know what happens when things go well in the church. The devil comes down to Georgia, doesn't he? That's what happens when things go well in the church. Every single time in my life, when I've seen it, every time the church gains momentum, who also shows up? Satan will show up in some way, sometimes in ways that are expected. Sometimes you know ahead of time. Here's what the opposition is going to be. Here's where the problems are going to be. Here's who's going to rear their head and all of a sudden start problems again, doing the devil's work for him. And you know that kind of stuff. Sometimes you don't have a clue. Sometimes Satan's work gets done by a brother or a sister with an ego. Sometimes it comes from places you never would have thought that it would occur from, ever. Ever. In fact, I will tell you, most of the times that I can think of in my ministry where there was a great big problem like that, it always came at a time where we were gaining momentum and doing a lot of good. And it always, in some way or another, affected the good we were trying to do. Sometimes overcome, sometimes the devil is far too effective, like you see through the riot at Ephesus later on. But the devil's going to show up. This brothers and sisters, is why we have verses 1 to 3. Why is it so important that when we start on a mission, we begin with prayer and fasting and the Holy Spirit? Because the devil is going to show up because you're about to do some good. And you need to be in prayer. You're going to need the guidance of the Spirit. You're going to need the strength of the Word of God. You're going to need to be at your spiritual best. You need to do a little spiritual weight training. And that's true, well, that's really true of every Monday that shows up. But it's also true of every good thing that we're trying to do. If we want it to be accomplished, we need to be aware the devil's going to throw up opposition. They knew this. They were prepared for that. And so they meet it head on. Bar-Jesus comes into the picture whispering and, and you know, in that... Hmm, Isn't that just always the way it works? The very last picture we'll see is a a picture with him whispering in the ear of Sergius Paulus. You'll see it here at at the end. And isn't that the way it often happens? 
Can I give you just a little bonus lesson right quick? Brothers and sisters in Christ, any brother or sister who thinks they're doing the Lord's work by doing a whisper campaign in your ear to undermine another brother or sister in Christ and their ministry, you got yourself a bar Jesus. The devil's come down to Georgia. Real Christians don't whisper real encouragement. They whisper gossip. They whisper slander. They whisper the devil's work. It's a good, easy test. If you're going, wow, what did he hear about this week? Nothing because they were whispering. No, I'm kidding. I'm not thinking of a particular circumstance. I'm telling you something I have seen year after year, month after month, for every single year and month of ministry. I've seen it destroy good people and destroy good ministries and destroy good churches. If that's the way a brother comes to you, shut the door on the devil. Sometimes he'll show up saying he's religious. Sometimes he'll show up saying he is a son or a daughter of Jesus, like Bar Jesus. But he's not. Be very, very careful and aware of what you listen to. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a Father up above looking down on us in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. So Bar Jesus, this instructionist sorcerer, starts causing all these problems. And look at verse, let me go back and reread verse 7. He was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, uh, he opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And then Saul, uh, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Okay, a few things here. One of these is this. Paul deals with him, as I said, very directly. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't wait around. And I know that it might look like at first, like this is kind of a mean thing. I mean, this is 2021. We live in America. And you're not supposed to tell people that they're evil, are you? No. I mean, there's people already upset that I just told you about the gossips and the slanderers and gave you a warning. I don't care. I'm going to warn you because I know they're out there. Because anywhere there is good being done, they are there. Period. Always. We can look at what Saul, now Paul. We'll get to that in a second. We can look at what he did and be shocked by what he did. Because he strikes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the man blind. And we might want to look at that and go, well, you can't, you can't. Paul, come on now. That seems awful harsh. I thought you were you're supposed to be the guy about grace. Why didn't you just sit him down and tell him about Jesus? Of course, he'd just been trying to do that, right? You're going to run into people in your life that will have nothing of Jesus. Some of those are pretty passive 
They reject him. You dust off your feet. You move on. It's not dramatic. It's sad, but it's not dramatic. Some people are going to be a thorn in the flesh like Bar-Jesus or Simon the sorcerer who was the same way after, after he uh, tried to bribe Peter. We can look at this and say, that doesn't sound like grace. Why didn't he give him a longer opportunity? Why did he have to strike him blind? And you can even hear people saying, well, I don't think Jesus would have done that. Jesus wouldn't have struck that man blind just because he was being stubborn. Jesus wouldn't have struck, struck that man blind just because he was fighting the way. Jesus wouldn't have, have struck that man blind just because he was kicking against the go- Well, where did that phrase come from? Kicking against the goats. Would Jesus strike somebody blind because they're being stubborn, obstructionist, and selfish? What do you think? We have any nays? Nobody. Nobody wants to say no? Well, good. That means you've read the book of Acts before, right? Paul was struck blind because he was being stubborn. He was being an obstructionist. He was being one fighting the way. He was the one trying to stand in the way. He was trying to throw people in prison. Paul himself was. So Paul would say, oh, you think Jesus wouldn't do this? Let me tell you a story. Jesus does this. He did this to me. So why? Paul does it by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that Paul also did it by the blessing, perhaps even the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Why? It's okay to ask the question, why? Aren't there times in your life where the only way you would ever see the truth was to realize how blind you really were? Where the only time to know the light was to understand how deep the darkness really is? Jesus had to deal with that way with Saul on the road to Damascus. Apparently, there wasn't somebody that was going to be able to go to Saul with some little tract from their church foyer and sit down, ask several questions, and him go, well, then why aren't I being baptized now? Wasn't going to happen. Saul didn't understand he was blind. He was sure he knew the truth. He was sure that he could see. And he was dead wrong. He was blind. But by now he sees. There is a sense in which it is a very real act of grace that this happened. It was grace when it happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. God was trying to wake him up and help him see. And three days later, he's baptized into Jesus Christ and becomes this missionary that we're reading about. I have no idea what happens with this Bar-Jesus guy. We don't know. In the text, all we have is him being obstinate. And perhaps he died still obstinate and unbelieving. I don't know. But he was given a chance that day. The seed was sown. And it was done 
in a very direct, what you are doing is wrong and God will have no part of it, sort of a way. There are times when the church has to speak the same way to the world around it. When we have to say, that is wrong. And God has no part of that. And God's never going to bless that. And the Holy Spirit is never going to say that's okay. And it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what God has revealed. We live in a culture that has become so ruled by feelings and not by the facts. And it hits us in so very many ways. It hits in politics. It hits in morals. It hits in health care. It hits in education. In every way possible. Why? Because the truth is out there. The gospel is out there. I'm not talking aliens and COVID. I'm talking gospel. The truth is there. And the devil is going to do everything he can to oppose it. And sometimes that will be in the expected ways of being opposed by atheists and secularists and people who are, are more, um, what's the right word, uh, on the offense even than that. More aggressive than that. Some of that opposition is going to come from people who purport to be of Jesus. Sons of Jesus. Daughters of Jesus. And those who know the truth, those who are diligent enough to prepare themselves in prayer, fasting, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God will be able to see through it. Seeing through it's not enough. You need to speak up. There will be times where you will have to say, and it may be hard at times, it may be people that you're very close to. It may be people that you love very much. And you will have to say, I can't be part of that. I can't pretend that is okay. I can't pretend that sin isn't sin, that fighting God isn't fighting God, that hurting people is somehow okay. I can't be part of that. And I will not. And you will have to speak pretty strongly at times. You start gently always. Paul did. You start gently always. Let gently fail before you move on to stern. It's very important. Those are instructions from the Word of God itself. You start gently. You start prayerfully. You may even need to fast for real and seriously. Because the devil isn't going to give up. The question really becomes, are we? Pick your battles. Paul does not go on this trip. He does not go on this trip to say that Roman policies on A, B, and C are the incorrect policies. He gets in no discussion of Roman law or of, of Roman culture. What he's willing to go to the mat for and what he ultimately lays down his life for 
And what he is forceful with Bar-Jesus for is the opportunity to preach the gospel to the proconsul. The opportunity to share Christ, to show grace, to share forgiveness, to love, to serve, and to fellowship. He wants to eat at this table with the proconsul as a brother. He doesn't care about his job. He doesn't care how he voted. He doesn't care about any of those things. I saw, pick your battles wisely, I saw a church sign this week uh, online, and that church is sending out the message, if you don't agree with us on this, don't bother to come. May the Lord call that church to repentance because that church has succumbed to the devil's work. When you choose who you will allow and welcome as brothers and sisters in Christ, you cease to do the Lord's work. And when we share, oh man, I just heard my mom and she might be watching. I'm searching for a better word. Junk. When you share junk like that, D's interpreting in her head. I didn't say that. I said something else. (laughs) But when you see that junk, do not share it, brothers and sisters. Every share is the devil's work when it's what he would use to put a wedge between brothers and sisters in Christ and the potential to share the gospel. Paul shuts Bar-Jesus down for the sake of the gospel. Not to be mean. Not to be right in an argument. Not to see who wins. He shuts Bar-Jesus down because the man Bar-Jesus was standing in the way of needed Jesus. He needed Jesus. Let that be our guide on which battles we pick. Will it open a door? Or will it burn a bridge? Let's choose the door every time. That's the people we're supposed to be. As a result, Paul gets to speak the gospel. And it says here in verse 12, When the proconsul saw what had happened, look at the words. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. When the world sees us pick all the wrong fights, they disbelieve. They lose faith in us. When they lose faith in us, they lose faith often in God. They need us to be people whose mission is the mission of God. Whose love is the love that God portrayed through His Son Jesus. Defined by His Son Jesus. Whose grace matches that of Christ Himself. That's the church they need to see. The church that will sometimes speak powerfully, but to the right battles and with the right spirit and to the right ends. That's who we need to be. And as a result, you have a Roman proconsul who is your brother who beats you to heaven. Isn't that cool? There are people in Caesar's own household that Paul will teach later on. Because he lived by what we're talking about this morning and didn't get his arguments confused 
and his battles picked wrongly. He fought. He fought hard for the sake of the word, for the sake of the world, and for the sake of people coming to Christ. Are you willing to join that fight? Paul was so willing he changed his name. I said we'd get there. He changed his name. Now, it's believed by a lot of biblical scholars with more letters behind their names than anybody in here today that Paul probably was already known as Paul even before his conversion. That would have been his, his Roman Greek name. You know, his father uh, bought Roman citizenship. And that, that Paul, or actually he would have been Paulus, like Sergius Paulus as well, that Paulus really was probably a name he went by often, but Saul was more of his, his, when he was with his brother's name. It was his Hebrew name. But they tell me that Saul, which would have been said Saulus out in the Gentile world, had some kind of a, how to word this? I don't really want to say this. I mean, Paul's my brother, right? That's okay. Some of you might have names like this too that, that you, you've, you've not let the rest of us know. They thought it was kind of wimpy. <laughs> okay, The Romans thought that Saulus just sounded kind of wimpy. And Paulus was strong. And so, and so in order not to be taken as an any, uh, that's, that's why Paul decided, if I'm going to be the missionary to the Gentiles, I need a name that fits my mission. And so he switches to his more Gentile-friendly Paulus. There's something pretty cool in that, isn't there? That's the day when he gave himself fully to the mission. And I know we could look at it and go, well, it seems like he was already fully, uh, pretty fully given to the mission of God, and he was. But you know, sometimes we always keep kind of a backup plan, or we keep something back, we'll hold things back and not quite go all in. He had kept his name. Now he gave it up for the sake of the Lord for the sake of the gospel, so that he would have more credibility among the people he needed to reach. And it's kind of this moment where he gives himself fully to, all right, this is my world now. This is where I work now. And you notice Luke switches the name for him in the middle of the battle when he stood up and against. Somebody who actually was from his side of the fence to get the gospel to somebody who was on the other side of the fence. Could there be another lesson in that? I'm out of time. I'm not going to preach it. But could there be another lesson in that? To lay it down for the people that you didn't think would surely be the people that you would need to go reach. I think there is. If you're ready to put Christ on in baptism today, maybe you need to know more about it. Maybe you need to ask us some questions. We want desperately to see you in the family of God. We want to share with you that good news. And we will do that. If you want to talk about it, come and get us. If you're ready to be baptized, we'll raise that screen up fast as that motor will work and we'll get you back there. If you need prayers from the church for you, we will pray for you. And I have it on good word that Curly will fast for you. <laughs> We're going to volu- Can you volunteer other people at that? We will fast for you if that's what we need to do. Because we love you that much. And we love you because God already loves you that much. If that's what you need this morning, would you come as we stand and as we sing?